Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host Mark Kaler and today we've got uh, the captain of the fishing vessel Gladiator, uh, Captain Ed French. How are you today Ed? Oh, not too bad. Excellent, excellent. Let's just start right into it. Uh, where were you born at Ed? Newport, Oregon. 1962. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, went to school down there, east of there. Eddyville. Eddyville? Yes. 17 kids in my graduating class. Okay. Was that anywhere near water? Well, it's about 15 miles from the coast, yeah. Okay. You know, right, right, on, right next door to the Yukona River. <laughs> mm -hmm. So... But uh, history of fishing in the family, or no, no, none before me. I uh, found my way into the business because Captain Bruce Morris from the Majesty moved in next door when I was uh, what about a senior in high school. Got to be friends with him, gave it a whirl, liked it, kind of went on from there. What was the what was the introduction? What was the first boat? Fishing vessel Driftwood, a 78-foot wooden desco. And what were you Middle fishing? Middle of December and fishing out of, uh, actually we left out of Ilwaco, across the Columbia River Bar, mainly to keep the boat from getting seized. It wasn't making a lot of money and fishing shrimp off the Washington coast in the wintertime. And, uh, what was your first job on the boat? <laughs> Everybody's first job on the boat, low man, you know, this deckhand, lonely deckhand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how long did you do that? Oh, it was just a fill-in deal during a Christmas break when I was, like I said, a senior in high school. And then the next summer I went fishing. And then I went to college for a year, and that didn't really fit very well, so I went back to fishing. And mainly shrimp boats for a few years. And all on the coast down there? Yeah, and then was working on a, a deep water sole boat and the opportunity came up to go north with uh, Kevin Ganley. On the, I was on the Tamran now, he's got the American Beauty. But uh, that was on the Tamran, the winter of uh, 83, I guess. And uh, went up on that boat fishing codfish. 21 years old, going cod fishing. No, I was 19. Okay, well, you said you were born in 72. 62. Or 62, and it was 73. Well, maybe, hold it, maybe it, was, it had to have been a little earlier then, because I was only 19, because the drinking age in Alaska was 19. I might have been 20, but I wasn't 21. Because I remember what, how aggravating it was when we got home, and you were, you know, before you left Alaska, you were old enough to buy a drink. When you got home, you weren't. Right. So you were First time I ever got younger in my life. <laughs> And you were codfishing. We were bleeding and gutting codfish. The only boat up there that lacked the good sense to not gut them. So uh, it, well, it was kind of we, rough. We potting them or no, no trawling, trawl, trawl, okay, trawling, trawl fishing. And yeah, we thought we were in them thick and heavy. We'll probably catch more today than we did then, but it was. Uh, it was good. It was a lot of fun. It was a tough winter. I stayed up there for what, 
January to June and then went down south and oh, one thing led to another working on Newport boats and fishing out of California in the wintertime then I had an opportunity to move up and start running a boat and what was that boat? What was the first boat you ran? The first boat I ever ran was the Bay Islander, and I ran that for, oh, it's kind of a fill-in position for a little over a month, and then uh, opportunity came up to get the new life, and um, same owner, but, and it was actually a little smaller boat, but the Bay Islander was the, the owner didn't really fish at that point in time, but the Bay Islander was his boat, and as long as you were on the Bay Islander, you were just going to be an alternate, <laughs> what, even if he never went What was fishing. the size, and what species were you catching? And Well, the New Life is a 76-foot Risco, and rockfish mainly at that time, and eventually we took that boat back into the shrimp fishery because it there was some money being made in it in the summertime and then uh, did that for a couple of years with it rock fishing in the winter shrimping all summer and then we got into the hake joint ventures i was there for mm, five and a half years or something with them and then from there i went to another gulf style boat the lafont owner was a guy named Frank Lassane, the Raging Cajun, hmm. and uh, fished uh, rockfish and deep water stuff and a little bit of hake in the summertime shore base, and then to the Messiah. Messiah's it, running up north all the time. Well, it was fishing off the coast, but the limits just kept getting smaller, so going to Alaska became a, we went up for codfish, and it kind of became a necessity for that boat. It was 80 foot boat. Keep busy, we were doing that. Cod fish in the winter time. And then hake in the summer and uh, a little bit of rock fish at that point was kind of a fill in thing in between. I think the limits by the end of that boat was uh, quarterly. So now were you skipper in that boat? Oh yeah. Okay, before yeah. we get too much of your Alaska time in, I want to go back to that the first time that you were the captain of the boat. First time you got the keys. What was going through your mind? How old were you then? Oh, 22, something like that. 22, almost 23. Mm -hmm. Something like that. A little scary? Oh, you know how it is. You're the smartest guy in the world and think you know everything you need to know to run a boat. And then somebody says, there you go. It's a big ocean. It's humbling. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's all up to you, and everything you thought you knew, you're not quite so sure of. So, it's. Uh, Isn't that how it goes? Yeah. The guys on the deck think that the guy upstairs is just driving the bus, but when you're driving the bus, there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Well, the responsibility is a little bit different, you know. Did you feel that fish, mantle? Fish don't fish don't jump on the boat. Yeah. Did you feel the mantle going on the shoulders? I mean, you're responsible for not only their livelihood but their lives. Oh yeah. You got to feel that a little bit. I still do. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty humbling. I was, I'd been really sure for a really long time. I felt like I, yeah, knew everything I needed to know, and yeah, I might, and I might have been right, but I wasn't very sure of it. When, yeah. 
<laughs> when the lines comes off and it's all on you, it's different. Yeah, you better get it quick. Yeah. Well, 22, of course you knew everything. Right? Well, 22, yeah. 22 years old. You I've been getting absolutely. dumber ever since. Or <laughs> plumbing the depths of what it is I don't know. <laughs> all right, then. So then when now we're up north. We got the Messiah. You're mm -hmm. running the Messiah. Where'd you go from here? Messiah, I uh, did that for... No, another five and a half years or something, or five years. Put that boat through a sponson. Got it tuned up. One thing led to another. Anyway, got off there and uh, engineered for Jeff Mason on the Royal American for a couple of seasons. And uh, got a little taste of the Western codfish on there. And uh, jumped over with Trident on the Majesty with Captain Bruce and uh engineered for him alternate captain for him and same same bruce you started with same bruce same bruce if you know bruce yeah i'm just there's only one i'm just showing how <laughs> i'm just showing how small this family is here uh, you know it's a pretty tight circle but anyway uh that boat was fishing a lot on the gulf side you know and things were up in the air and the bunny huggers were attacking hitting those guys pretty hard Things were a little spotty in the, you know, it, Bruce is a hell of a fisherman and your cod season was always a money maker. But the Gulf side Pollock was a little up in the air and I, uh, opportunity came up to get on the Gladiator. Before you get off Bruce real quick, I just want to comment that he's one of those guys that, the guys we work with say that He's, he's just one of those guys that could throw a, a net in a bathtub and come up full of pollock. He's just fishy. No, he's better than that. He could throw a net in a bathtub and bring it up full of cod. <laughs> Any, anybody can catch pollock. All you got to do is show up, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Bruce is a hell of a fisherman. Yeah. He gets her done. There's no question right, about so that. So he hopped over on the gladiator. Yeah, and uh, was on deck there for a little bit, and then... Uh, the way things go, uh, boat needed an engineer. I took over engineering it and did that for about a couple of years, I guess, and uh, had the opportunity to get get the boat, uh, run the boat, and uh, been doing that for a while, I guess. What year did you get her? I keep trying to figure that out exactly. It must have been. About 2004, because I was still on the Majesty in 2002 when the plant burned. I was actually over in Akatan with, in between one of them Gulf seasons where they stop you and start you. And I went over there and fished with Jack on the Columbia for a few weeks in between seasons. And uh, that was 2002 when the, when the plant burned. And within a year or two, a couple years after that, I guess, uh, I went to the Gladiator. Okay. So that's a different platform there. Yeah, quite a bit, definitely. It's. Uh, She's a big girl. Yeah, it's a nice boat. It's a real capable boat. Took us a little bit to kind of iron the bugs out and get things fixed up and rolling, but over time you get things. A lot of support from the company and one thing another. It, it's a good platform, mm -hmm. and uh, 
getting the right people with you it's matters big sure you know, real you, I hear that from you a lot about your crew you well, said I, as a as a group as a group they're damn good <laughs> individually they're pretty damn good as a group they're really good it's uh, it's uh, the guys are what makes uh, makes it work I mean uh, it's the best part of the job is having a crew of that quality it's uh, pretty special you can you can buy all the other parts yeah but uh, it's a really good group of guys they support each other really well everybody knows why they're there and working for the same goals and taking care of one another and helping each other you, you, you all, said that, all the time you said all there's the a project time. in the engine room and and uh, brandon needs help everybody's down there doing whatever that's true you know on the same all all over the boat nobody works alone so except for me you know <laughs> you can't really call that working so it's, so uh, so you've been going up since uh since you were 19. well i haven't been going to, there was a good many years in the middle there that i i did not i i uh I went up there and I don't think I went back until the Messiah. So that was, uh, it must have been, the time I found my way back up north, I must have been close to 35 years old. You were still down here scratching fish though. Oh yeah, I've been. I mean, you've been fishing. I've never done fishing. anything. Well, what different species? I've had a job since I was 13, but I, but, you know, but since I got out of school, the only thing I've ever done is fish. So you, how many species? We did shrimp. Uh, Cod, rock, rockfish, deepwater complex, Dover sole, prawns off the <laughs> down in the Channel Islands. One winter, actually, much as I hate to admit it, I did a couple red crab seasons on deck on the Gladiator, just little short ones there with John Halliam running the boat. That was okay. Other than I didn't start doing that until I. That was when I was 40 and 41 years old. Oh, so that's, I, I, it's uh, hard to be the greenhorn on in a crab boat. At that age, it was a little painful. I'm glad it was only a five or six day shot of it for us because it took me a month to heal up from that. So, But it was good. And uh, that's the only time I ever pulled pots in my life. Other than, you know, pulling them out of the net. Right. <laughs> But, uh, so you've been you've been fishing since nineteen, and uh, well, actually, the first trip I was seventeen. So okay. Next year, December, I guess it'll be forty years at it. Often, other than a couple of months between that December and June, and then going to college for nine months. But yeah, other than that, it's been. So in that amount of time, almost 40 years, there there has to be some scary times. But the one I wanted to ask you about first is the first time that you were truly scared on a boat. Well, that'd be the first time we came out. It, well, I, there's, there's a couple times you told me you were going to ask that, and then I guess the first time I should have been scared, or or the first time I had enough sense to be. You know, when you leave uh, Ilwaco in the middle of the winter on an old wood shrimp boat across that Columbia River bar with intermittent breaks, 
you know, should be it's like the old, yeah, you should have been, but it's like, gee, is it always this rough out here? <laughs> uh, didn't know any better, but uh, there's been a few times along the way. I mean, you know, down on the coast, you're dealing with the bars all the time, and those will get you focused in the moment, you know, but. Uh, I don't know. There's a few that stand out. Well, let's, let's win, have a the, the, the winter in Alaska with Kevin Ganley and crossing Akatan Pass. In those days, we ran around slack tanked and nobody knew any better. Blew a couple hatches off one side of the boat, filled it with water, had the boat on its side. Really tough weather. That was a myself and Rich Wyatt that were he runs the seat on now and uh, has for years anyway uh, out on deck and had a line tied between us taking turns trying to get them hatches plugged so the engineer could get the list off the boat and uh, you know one guy would hug the stanchion on the front net reel and the other guy would go have a stab at it you're hanging on there, and the line comes tight. Deck's just getting swept. Oh, it's ugly. Describe it, to us. Some of our listeners are not going to understand when you say slack tank. Describe to us what slack tank is. Oh, less than full. Anything that if it's it's either full or it's slack. But in those days, we thought that 95 foot boat was a pretty big platform, and uh, it was fairly common policy, I think, for a lot of guys and in that time period to run, you know, you put enough water in your tanks to make sure the fish were covered. You know, the boat had six tanks and you had a center line in it. So day to day, we got by with it. You know, now we know that that's a really poor operating condition, unacceptable, but I don't think we were the only people doing it back then, you know, it just made sense. You don't need to chill any more water than it took to cover the fish you had in the boat. So, of course, the hatches blew off, you know, rough weather, and the water surging around in there took the hatches off, and then the water on deck went down the hatches and filled one side of the boat up, and we were, after it was over and done with, we finally got it. Engineer had the guts to go down those stairs several times, and... <laughs> wasn't very pretty. Uh, Kevin came out to check on us there once, and I, I remember the next day or day and a half later, we were trying to get straightened up. We lost almost all our deck checkers. Probably tore off 30% of the wood deck grating. And it was, we were hurt, and uh, we were cleaning up in the galley once we got the deck halfway put back together, and we were taking wiping his footprints off the wall where he walked on the wall going back to the pilot house after he came out to see if Rich and I were even still there. Mm -hmm. Couldn't really, he was quite surprised to find us still on deck. One of you holding on to the stanchion. <laughs> and the other one, <laughs> the other one yeah. by a line. <laughs> other one hanging by a line, tied to each other. But uh, yeah, we were kind of, it was a little bit of a blur, you know, and then we were cleaning up after we kind of got everything squared away and or halfway put back together <laughs> cleaning the galley and you realize that you're wiping footprints off the wall <laughs> yeah. about halfway up the wall where he bounced from one thing to another to get back to the pilot house and 
finally got a little of the list off and he put it down C and the guy got the rest of the list off and we came to weather and got to town but Sounds that's a that, that's a day that'll stick in your mind mm -hmm. so you got another one probably the worst of it there you're part of the deal but a few years ago we hit a rock Prince William Sound taking water that one was uh, my mistake I had to own it deep water under the boat losing on the pumps trying to find a beach because you can't sink if you got the ground under you mm -hmm. got one that was tough day that was a tough day it wasn't I mean you know in that situation I didn't the boat was seriously at risk people with it of course but there again that was my crew performed in a absolutely stellar manner support from other vessels in the area that came unbelievably fast got a second pump from the southern wind via the kingfisher skiff i don't believe i've ever seen one of those prince william sound mega skiffs wound that tight just bringing it uh yeah and the you know there you go and well, i was wide open running for the only little bit of a sand beach that that guy in the kingfisher told me where to put it and and i'm thinking they're going to need me to slow down and so they can get that other pump aboard because we got enough water in the engine room to where the engine's slinging it around. We lost the crane about the time they were coming alongside, so we had no crane to pick that pump aboard. And I'm thinking they're going to need something. And next thing you know, the pump's on the boat and running. And after the fact, I said, man, those guys in the skiff did a heck of a job. And the crew said, well, that wasn't guys, that was gals. Really? Yeah. Two ladies in that skiff that from the Kingfisher and uh, I've never seen a Coast Guard bosun that had bored you at you know nine and a half ten knots of course it was flat calm but that gal brought that skiff alongside put the nose into it. it took both of them to raise the pump up to where my crew could reach it she actually had to pin the boat into the side of us and step away from the controls to help the other gal because she could lift the pump but she couldn't lift it high enough for my crew to reach it mm -hmm. Fairly amazing feat on their part. Just we got real, real lucky. Everybody did everything right. Were you guys communicating that you just you weren't comfortable slowing down? I mean, obviously you were taking no, a she never, fast. She never asked. She, just, she saw she, you running. She, she just did it. Put it on there. Hell of a job. Mm -hmm. Hell of a job. Yeah, we've we've heard uh, we've heard uh, the perspective from Brandon uh, from the engine room side of it, right? Yeah. And. Uh, and his view is that everything in the wheelhouse is being handled with such perfection that it made it run smooth. I just had to make one choice, realistically. It was to put it back on the rock we hit or put it on a different one. And it was the longest 17 minutes of my life. What was going through your head? I mean, I just, I mean I'm sure there was a thousand things, but... Uh, or were you just focused? When do you pull the plug? You know, hoping that the boys, I knew they were engaged downstairs where, you know, and we had power, we had steering. 
we had, you know, we were having a little bit of issues with the main engine because we were chucking salt water off the flywheel up into the intakes, and I didn't realize that that's exactly what was going on at the time, but I was trading pitch for RPMs and trying to squeeze everything out of it I could. And anyway, uh, just not wanting anybody, you know, the main thing there is the people, you know, and you know, you're screaming for that beach and then down there you're either in no water or you're in deep water and coming up onto the beach and that fellow from the Kingfisher called me and said, well, you know, I don't know what you got going on, but we're right at the bottom of about a 14-foot tide. He said, you might want to put it on the beach like you mean it. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, what could be better? Hit a rock and we're going to make it to this beach, but then to have to think about driving the boat aground instead of just putting her shallow enough to yeah and uh putting it up you know get a ground but not and about that time uh sean weaver hollered up the stairs that they were gaining we about probably looking back at it probably wasn't eight minutes into that deal that that second pump came aboard from i mean it was just incredible i i called jeff boddington on the southern wind and said i need your pump and I need a beach and, and where, so where did this skiff come into play was it he was a, that was from a boat that was unloading to him the sea kingfisher was unloading to him he told his crew to get the pump told the guy in the kingfisher where it needed to go his people jumped in the skiff knew what was going on and brought it just boom just that quick yeah and uh did you throw out a mayday or did you just call the boats right Never, I called Coast Guard, uh, I never did put out a mayday. I talked to Jeff, I called Coast Guard Anchorage, I think they're who answered. I called the Coast Guard, told them what had happened. Where we were, what had happened, and what we were up to, comms with them were really weak, really, really poor. I had, had them scratchy, had my hands full, and enough people around there several other tenders in the area and one thing another uh, kind of had to fight that one on your own hook it was just there I mean yeah I don't know that we'd have made that beach without the pump from the southern wind possibly but it had been running for several minutes when I got the word that we were gaining mm -hmm. on the water and I eased it back and he went but Sean went back downstairs doing that and I put it on the beach and the guys downstairs never even knew it so we just let her cush up into the gravel and that plugged a few of the holes actually and helped us to start gaining a little better and one thing and another we had some fairly serious damage but yeah anyhow uh, in the end it worked out what, 72 hours later we were on our way to Seward dry dock Wow, that was intense. Uh, what, let's let's try to get a couple. Let's, let's get a good story. I mean, uh, again, going up on forty years, there's got to be some good times too. Oh, every time you're in them, thick and heavy. You know, I look back over the years and really didn't. I've always said, if you fish for the glory, the money will take care of itself. You know, and you think about the some of the times that you remember as being real productive and you were right in it 
you know, you think about the money that was getting made and, and then what we do maybe even on a daily basis, you know, regular basis, pollock fishing. Those days weren't that special money-wise, but it's always good to be in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably the same for any species you're fishing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hooks, pots, bait, doesn't matter, trawl, whatever. It's always good to be in them. Yeah. When it, when things are coming your way, it's 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 good, you know, and especially if you know you live and die by your procedures, your productivity is anchored to the way you do things and how you handle things on a day-to-day basis and uh, when your luck comes around a little bit and your people are ready and your equipment's ready and the way you handle things stands up to it and you can actually hit a lick it's it's good to get a little wood on the ball yeah you know yeah Yeah. so you know a lot of that comes down to the people you're working with, you know, who are, who, who are you with. Well, go, just going but, back quickly to your to hitting the rock, that's your crew. I mean, just everybody yeah. being trained is what. Well, and I have days of, well, I go back to the shrimp fisheries where, you know, pretty tight little groups of people that you worked with and you take a chance and make a move and find a little bug and. Every, I remember one day that we'd been fishing down south in Newport and the shrimp grade was pretty small and we, we had to move. We had, you know, there was, a, there was a count law and you had to average, oh God, what was it? Over 200, less than 200, less than 160, I don't even remember. But we were in real borderline shrimp. There was quite a bit of it, but it was real borderline. But we had to go somewhere for our last day and find some bigger shrimp or we were going to be real close to getting rode up for it, you know. And and we jumped up north of Newport there, myself and a couple other fellas, and start out the way that went in the morning, making test tow. And this guy makes, you know, everybody makes a short tow in the morning and haul back, see what you got. And... I was on the wrong side of things, actually, and didn't have a whole lot. The guy inside me had more, and the guy inside him had, you know, it was like, I, I don't know what I had for half an hour. I might have had seven, 800 pounds. The guy inside me had 1,500. The guy inside him had 3,000. I guess you know which way to jump, yeah. you know, and we made an hour and a half tow and topped the hopper, you know, top hopper held 10, 12,000 pounds of shrimp. When we put the second bag in there, it was cascading off onto the deck, and it was about... What a great sight. It was about 75, 80 count shrimp, just nice big bruisers for, for pink shrimp. They were really nice stuff, and it was clean as a whistle, and we made some hay there. Damn near filled the boat that afternoon. We had a pretty good trip on... When we moved up there, we were just hoping to get something worthwhile and bigger stuff to get our average up, and... Oh, they came good. It was fun. <laughs> no, but it's about the guys you're working with. You know, the Captain Dave Smiley and Bill Rutherford that day. And, uh, you know, days of cod fishing out west where, you know, working with two or three, four other guys that are, and you're all working together and you're making it happen. And that, I've always said my three favorite words in the fishing business are come to me. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> if you can say that, you're already in it. You're already there. You know, and it's like, it, it was... Good times. Good times. How, how about the family side? The family side of things. Well, I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky. I've been married for going on 31 years. I was fishing when we got into that. My wife been real supportive and raised me up a couple of wonderful kids. And uh, yeah, your daughter. Uh, yeah, she she's a worker herself. Yeah, she's uh, good help when you can get her. Yeah, <laughs> I remember she came down and worked shipyard. She even went up and uh, she tendered a little bit. And well, she went with us and got a little training. Actually, did I think three trips on the deck of the Gladiators of shared crewmen. I, I heard, yeah, crew I heard some of the guys were trying go. to have to work to keep up. Well, she uh, graduated U of O, good grades and all that. Couldn't get a job interview because the jobs she was looking at were government jobs and people getting out of the military get priority so she said if you can't beat them join them and <laughs> she's in the Coast Guard here now it's almost got four years and she'll be getting out next June and looking forward to moving onward and upward from there mm -hmm. and, 30, 31 years of marriage a couple kids yeah yeah early on in that you were probably gone a lot more than you are now early in it I was fishing the coast so it's a little different. You're home not home at night. Oh no, home once a week. Well, in once every four, five, six days. But in somewhere when you're shrimping, you chase the shrimp. You know, you start out down the California border somewhere and end up finishing the summer up by Juan de Fuca. So you were hopping, you know, delivering from Crescent City generally. Took a few trips of that into Eureka, I guess, but and uh, all the way to well, Nia Bay was kind of a tough spot to offload, but Westport a lot, you know. And the wife would load the kids up and come as often as not. And then when you're JV and Hake, it was you know 20 day trips, 21 fish till you ran out of fuel, mm -hmm. you know groceries got thin but when the fuel got low enough you had to go get some fuel so down to bread it, peanut butter and oh. jelly's fine but you can't go without the fuel so yeah right you know it, what what do you, what uh, what advice would you have for young young folks trying to get into our industry now well it's still a real viable industry it's changing you know I never thought it look like it does today when of course I never thought about what it looked like you just have that much forethought into it but it's a pretty you know it's a real struggle I think for young people today to find a productive line of work that's uh, if you can stand the time and understand you know what it's really about after the romance and adventure wears off and uh, you know, we've got some young guys, there's a long period when we didn't really see a lot of younger guys coming into it, but there's some younger guys coming into it now that are, you know, the industry needs them. But I think a lot of people maybe think it's 
easy money or misunderstand it. But guys that can get their mind right, there's a damn good living to be had in fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I wouldn't tell them to shy away from it, but uh, that's not what it once was. That's what I tell them at the plant. The, the oldest thing on the boat is the price of fish. The boat's 40 years old, so. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and it's a tough deal that where we're at. I mean, we're moving a huge amount of product up on a very expensive operating platform and competing with every seafood on the planet. So, it, it, you know, it's it's really, it's hard, I don't, you know. Pollock is becoming far more mainstream, though. It's, it's it, really it, it is, and hopefully that'll trickle back to us at the boat, but it'll trickle back. It won't come flooding, but... Hopefully that that comes back down to the boat level, but you know the bottom line is the price of producing this product that that, that of producing the product that's becoming more mainstream is not the price of producing the same product. You know the the product that that, that where it flowed before it started down that road. I believe there was a, probably a different operating cost involved. And you're talking about Surimi and just shuff it through. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. Uh, now it's just that's a little, you know, and I, quite truthfully, I got to be honest, you know, pretty much my interest in them stops as soon as they go up that hose at the fish plant. <laughs> After that, the only part I'm worried about is that the check don't bounce. And well, I work for Trident, so I don't have to worry about that. So, that. you know what I mean? It's, Roger that. They got people for that. Yeah. Some of the best there are. And, uh, you know, I'm counting on them. <laughs> but that ain't my end of it. But, you know, I can only imagine that it's it's, it's a whole different animal to produce the products. That the, where they're taking Pollock now is much more, I would think, expensive, you know, and they're probably also getting paid for it. But that nothing comes without a cost. So sure. it's going to take a while for it to come back. They've got to they the invest in that end product, you know, to, to make it more, yeah. more appealing. But so... Would you change anything? I mean, fishing's obviously been good for you. For you've been doing it for forty years. Would you, if you could go back, would you still end up here today? If I was lucky. If you were lucky. So that's an absolute yes for sure. Yeah. Um, so fishing's yep, treated you good. Fishing has treated me really well. Uh, most of the lumps I've took out of the business, I think I could blame on my own self. And yeah, it's been good to me. Uh, I think there was a good deal of the time I never thought I'd, you know, 25 years ago, if you told me I'd be running that boat down the down the way here, I don't know if I'd have thought that was realistic or possible I you know I made a real effort to stay out of Alaska though when my kids were young and in school and it was a conscious effort I mean I had some offers some good ones from people to come that go that way and you know I just tried to make it work down on the coast and you know it was okay it was okay it wasn't bad probably worked harder down there than you do working in Alaska because it never stopped. It was 12 months out of the year just grinding your guts out. I mean, working, maintaining the gear all year long, maintaining the boat all year long, little brief snips, 
You're we're, still you're still doing that now because I I'm the guy that buys for you, so I get those well, calls yeah. during the off season yeah. when your mind's going a thousand miles an hour about needing this. <laughs> well, and, and I work sure. for I work for some fairly hard people on the coast. And a couple of them come to mind that were downright difficult bastards. But I'm not sorry about that, and I don't. Certainly, looking back, I certainly don't hold it against them, and I'm quite thankful for what I learned from them. Mm-hmm. One guy that comes to mind is Craig Cochran. He's a hard man. He was in those days, but I learned a lot from him, and uh, on the off, you know, on a good day, it's. Romance and adventure. On a bad day, you can be hip deep in blood, and not all of it's somebody else's. <laughs> you know, and uh, the friendships you build over that time too, though. I mean, you and oh Bruce yeah. are still. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah there's. We're one of the things about working in the fleet that we're in right now, and you know, I, I don't have the personal relationships with a lot of the guys in Dutch Harbor. Some, some, some of the fellows over there I've known for years that, you know, it, the entire fleet up there, personally, I just feel pretty lucky to be part of that group. Uh, you don't get to the position of operating those boats without a great deal of knowledge and in 99% of the cases a hell of a backbone and it, it, it's a fairly elite group of people and uh, you know what deep down in my bones I'm a hillbilly and pretty simple guy and uh, that's a good group of people I mean across the board across the fleet you know there's there's guys I know and there's guys I know of but not a lot of weak sisters in the bunch mm-hmm. you know and uh, right across the board it's if you can hold your head up in that group you're doing all right I think so, yeah. I think so. Well, we're pushing the end here. Uh, really? About running out of time. You, you were worried about uh, filling 42 minutes, and here we're a little over it. But uh, before we go, let's first uh, encourage folks to buy Wild Alaska Seafood, right? And, uh, and if not Wild Alaska Seafood, at least Wild Seafood. Well, I, it's the most... Frozen fish got a bad rap. If you're buying frozen fish out of Alaska, you're probably going to eat better seafood than you've ever had in your life. And then you can buy in, in most local markets, let's put it that way, because you get all the shelf life and all that. It's just misunderstood. In the old days, they froze it just before it spoiled, and frozen seafood got a terrible name, and it deserved every bit of it. But when you're buying Alaska product, it's caught to be frozen, and it gets put into that frozen state way faster than stuff that's handled for the fresh market. They, they keep that, so to speak, fresh as long as they can, understandably, but it may have spent a lot more time out of the water unfrozen than your stuff you can get as wild Alaskan seafood. It's, uh, it, and the price is right. So 
Yeah. Okay. With that, um, American made. <laughs> with that, guys, it's been another installment of Galley Stories, <laughs> Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. And uh, look for us on Facebook. Give us a like there, a little share maybe. And uh, Ed, thanks for coming today. You bet. Appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, anything you want to end with before we wrap this up? Oh, nothing. All right, guys. Nothing. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>